The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show, as you just heard, and as always, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan. Can you believe this is episode 20 of our brand new venture, this this radio show uh, as part of the nonprofit organization? 20 weeks have just absolutely flown by when I look back at when we started on January the 8th and where we are now. God has certainly blessed our time together. He has blessed this venture, and we are just uh, excited about what he has for us in the future. I am excited to announce that we have a 12th affiliate. They are not actually starting with us until next week, but I can make the announcement this week because we've already done all of the work behind the scenes that we need to do. AM 640 WXSM, the sports monster, the Tri-City sports leader in Kingsport, Johnson City, Bristol, Tennessee, the Tri-Cities area, is going to begin airing the show next week at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. So we are just incredibly excited and grateful to welcome the sports monster into our family. Thank Bill Mead the program director at the station, for reaching out and, and being willing to to talk to us and ultimately decide to carry the show. And we look forward to getting them on the air with us in a week. So uh, welcome them. We'll mention them again next week when they officially go on the air with us. But uh, all the paperwork is signed and the Sports Monster is officially part of the Dan Scott Show family, bringing our total number of affiliates now to 12, six over the air and six internet stations. And God just continues to grow this thing. So he gets all the glory for it. We have an incredible interview for you today. Uh, Adrian Dupre is a high-energy guy with an incredible testimony and one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. I mentioned him a couple of weeks back coming off of the Tri-County Go-Tell Crusade that happened here in upstate South Carolina. was able to catch up with him earlier this week and he is our feature conversation for this edition of the show. So I want to get to a break, come back, we'll set it up, and then you will hear this incredible testimony from Adrian Dupre. And we'll do that after you hear this from Grand Slam Ministries. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is GrandSlamMinistries.org. 
Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. Episode 20 of the Dan Scott Show. As always, we are so pleased to have you along with us. Thank you for your continued support, your listenership. All we ask that you do is you share the show, you tell other people about it. Go to the the podcast site, go to the website, danscottshow.org. You can access all of the previous episodes from there or just search the Dan Scott Show podcast wherever you get your podcasts and share it. Help us grow this audience and get the word out about God still doing amazing things in people's lives today. That's the entire premise of what we do when we talk with guests like we have today. Adrian Dupre, and I did not know this about him until he and I got a chance to spend a little bit of time together, but he played football at the school where I am the director of broadcasting and play-by-play voice, Furman University. He was there from 1983 through the spring of 1988, played four seasons, had a redshirt year, and left the year before. He graduated the year before Furman won the what was then called Division I AA, now the FCS National Championship. And uh, he, let's just say, is a unique individual. His testimony is incredible. His message, the four chairs, which we talk about in this interview, is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. It's also one of the most convicting things I've ever heard. So you're going to enjoy this interview. And we started talking about the energy this guy has. I described him as one of those people that makes coffee nervous. And I asked him where that energy comes from. Yeah, I don't know. My mom uh, was concerned about me. I'm one of six kids. I'm number four. They don't even have baby pictures of me. I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is uh, I used to sit upside down on the stairs, lay down upside down on the stairs. And my mom said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm trying to, trying to get some blood to my head. <laughs> I was... I was like this my entire time. You, you could pray for my wife because I'm like this at home. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't drink coffee either. Can you imagine me on coffee? It'd be like uh, the Tasmanian devil. Would be. <laughs> It'd be well, I, I suppose it's like anything else. As long as you know that about yourself, then you can deal with it and go on, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, I have ADHD, QTZ five seventeen set hut issues, squirrel issues, and right and. Um, and uh, I, I know that about myself. I know I can't remember anything. I'm sorry, what were we just talking about? I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> and because of that, I've surrounded myself. My wife is our, my administrator completely. <laughs> our minister doesn't pay her enough. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, I, I don't mind not knowing what I'm doing as long as somebody else around me knows what I'm doing. So, well, the one the, the one thing you have been able to memorize is your testimony and, and the four chairs, and we're going to talk about that as we've gone on. So if that's the only thing you can remember, that's that's a pretty good thing to have in your in your back pocket, right? Yeah, yes, sir. I've uh, actually have forty eight messages memorized. Wow, uh, right now, and um, I have memorized so far sixteen books of the Bible. Um, I'm not very smart. I got a 7-7 seven, seven in the SAT. I got a 15 on the ACT. The lights are on, but nobody's home. A couple of bricks short of a load. But for some reason, uh, 
One of my favorite passages is in Psalm 19, where it says the word of God makes wise the simple. That means Adrian can be wise. <laughs> That's the word of God for you. Good job, Bible. Appreciate it. Well, the Bible's always right, isn't it? Amen. Let, let's... Um... You, you and I share something in common. Uh, you played football at Furman University. I'm in my wrapping up my 12th year as a director of broadcasting at, at Furman University. It, it's quite a different university now than it was then. But uh, your, your story, at least the testimony that I heard, started during your time at Furman. So how, how did you end up playing football at Furman? Well, I was I was pretty heavily recruited. Uh, as a junior in high school, I was 6'3 and weighed 135. But then my senior year, I grew three inches to 6'6 six, six and uh, weighed 205 as a senior. And was, But I moved from Ohio to Wilmington, North Carolina. In Wilmington, um, several schools in the South started. I was a late bloomer, I guess is what they called me, in Furman. And I had several Southern Conference schools uh, recruit me and had offered scholarships. And the last second I decided I'm Furman, have no idea why I was – I was, you know, stupid in different sins, drinking and doing drugs and stuff like that. And, and I, Furman seemed like it was a prim and proper school, but without me even knowing it, my dad really wanted me to go there. I didn't know that. He didn't tell me that. But uh, at the last second, I changed my mind, went to Furman. The first day at school, uh, I walked into my room drunk the first night of two days, and my roommate led me to Christ. And so, I look back at that and think, wow, the, the sovereignty of God that I would walk into a room with a guy reading the Bible at 2.30 in the morning, three weeks before school starts, and he was happy about it and gave me a big hug, and I thought that was weird, but he and I were the, the full scholarship kids on the team, so we were roomed together, and he led me to the Lord. And he didn't even know he did it that night. I was just overwhelmed with conviction and repentance and surrender, and changed everything i look back at that moment and think wow how did that happen oh god so what was your family dynamic like growing up did you grow up in a christian home uh no i, I, I we were a cme churchgoers i don't know if you know that denomination cme christmas mother's day and easter and uh we went every once in a while and we got dressed up and whatnot uh, it, it was important to my parents but not so important to me um I knew a lot about Jesus. If you would ask me if I was a Christian, of course, because I'm, I'm from America. America. And um, so I, I figured, of course, I'm saved. But for the first time ever, I realized my sins hurt God that night in, in, uh, at Furman, the first morning in E-Dorm, room 214, and August 17th. Matter of fact, I'm coming up on my 40th anniversary for me being saved, um, 1983. Uh, when I got saved, and so it's, I think we're in 2020, I think, I don't know, but 40 years of me being born again, I look back at it and think, hmm, I, I knew a lot about God, I saw Jesus of Nazareth on television, I saw Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, Moses, I saw that, um, but no one had ever really shared the gospel with me, uh, I remember one little kid came up to me, a wrestler in school, asked me if, he'd go, if I'd go to church with him while I was in high school, and I was the big partier guy, and I, I was very intimidated by that guy the rest of the year. Uh, he didn't know it, but I, I wish, I don't know his name. I wish I could meet him one day. I guess I'll meet him in heaven because that's what really sparked me when I walked in the room and I thought about that guy. He was the one who really loved Jesus. So interesting. How, how did you get on the, the wrong path? You talked about drinking and drugs. How, how did that 
door open up for you as as a high schooler? That, that's a great question because no one, no one's ever really asked me that before. But that, that, that moved, that's my job, Adrian. I yeah, I, 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 I try to be different. <laughs> this is Dan Scott, and we are here live. Okay, so um, uh, I moved from Ohio. My father was transferred from uh, uh, Maslin, Canton, Ohio, big football town where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. And he uh, transferred down to Wilmington, North Carolina, right before my senior year in high school. And because I left all my friends and everything like that, I kind of went off the deep end. Had an attitude, different things like that. Um, uh, so that that's how I went into drinking and drugs and stuff. And that was, eh. I, I, I look back and think, boy, the Lord really, really saved me. Because the week before I got saved, I woke up in a gutter not knowing how I got there. And if my coach, Dick Sheridan, had found out about that or even known about that, then I would have been off the team. And, and So there, there, there wasn't much room for, for people to get arrested. Right. Affirming. So uh, so I'm, I'm just glad that God in his sovereignty kept his hand on me and protected me. We're doing this via Zoom, so the people listening obviously can't see your facial expressions, but I can, and it, it, it pains you to talk about that. And I have a similar story. I didn't get saved until I was 45. So I'm coming up on my 11th anniversary preacher's kid, by the way. But I, um, I, it's part of the testimony, but you have to be careful when you share stuff like that, because you don't want to glorify the sin. You want to glorify the savior who saved you from the sin right well said very well said the sin i remember repenting or confessing 31 sins that night and i the reason why i remember that was 31 is because i wrote them all down the next day and uh and was just shocked i i realized for the first time ever that my sins had actually hurt jesus i saw my i saw myself lying to my mom the week before about smoking marijuana and it crushed her heart i saw it in my mind crushing her heart and i saw it in the heart of Jesus crushing his heart. And I just started weeping. My dad used to spank. We used to get spanked for crying. If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of person would spank somebody for crying. But my dad was, don't get me wrong, my dad was an amazing, amazing man. Best man I've ever met, actually. So, um, uh, but he would spank us for crying. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in bed crying my eyes out. I didn't want my roommate to know I was crying. So I just kept still. And the tears were filling up my ears, and I felt like I was in a tunnel as I was praying to God. Um, and everything from that point on changed. I read the book of Matthew the next morning before practice. Uh, by the end of the week, I'd read the whole New Testament. Didn't even have a Bible. I used my roommate's Bible. So um, so it was everything changed from that point on. I started preaching. Literally, I started preaching three weeks later. Three weeks later. They asked me at Furman to speak at the FCA to share, my, share a time out. I said, what's a timeout? They said, it's a testimony. I said, what's a testimony? And he said, wait a minute, how long have you been saved? I said, uh, I don't know, <laughs> two weeks. I just thought, I didn't know I got saved. I mean, I didn't know what happened. All I know is I started telling people about Jesus the first week. So, right. um, and um, shared in, in, they said, it's a five minute testimony. I said, can I have 30 minutes? I didn't even know what I was saying. I said, can I have 30 minutes? I said, you want to be the speaker? I said, what's the speaker? So I spoke that day, the first time at Furman FCA and all the college students were crying when I was done. And I thought, what in the world just happened? I didn't even know. I didn't even know. So um, all I know is it's pretty dramatic change in my life. 
we're visiting with Adrian Despres, who I had the privilege of of watching in action at the uh, recently completed uh, Tri Cities Go Tell Crusade in Liberty, South Carolina. Share his testimony and, and share his message to four chairs, which we're going to get into here in just a bit, um, doing ministry all over, not just all over the country, but you go all over the world when, when you're fully booked and, and doing things, right? I've been in 37 countries. But if you don't mind, I hate to correct you because you're you're 10 times more a man than I am. So, um, But let me just correct you. My name is not Desperate. It's actually Depre. Now, you need to know Steve Spurrier introduced me 150 times. And he got it right one time, so don't get, don't be upset or frustrated. Well, because well you know that, that that's that. I'm glad you did that because uh, this will probably shock people, but I do try to get things right. But I, I swear, Rick Gage told me your name was Desperus, so I'm gonna bl- <laughs> I'm gonna blame Rick. <laughs> you can remember it this way. I wanted to name my son Neil, Neil to pray Neil to pray so. <laughs> well no I'll remember it now I mean nothing like being corrected on live radio that's fantastic <laughs> I love it Adrian Dupre is our yes. guest here today um I forgot where I was going now this this is <laughs> this, this is, no no this is this is great this is this is what makes this is what makes this show different than any other you know the the host sometimes <laughs> loses his mind um so you you, you started that journey and sounds like like a lot of people when they first get saved you went from not being saved to you're going to be super christian immediately what kind of roadblocks did you run into uh some of the self-doubts that i've had i've warred with low self-esteem stuff you know my entire life i guess but um some of the self-doubt some of the you know questioning am i any good for this i all i know is i remember the first time i went up on we had a place outside of Furman called Paris Mountain. I mean, it wasn't a mountain, it was a hill, but um, it was pretty famous for, uh, we went up there to sing worship songs to God, and I thought, that'd be fun, boring. I didn't know if it'd be fun or not. I, I'd never done it. But um, while I was up there, there's a bunch of guys doing some drug deal stuff, and they were in charge of the mountain at that time. So I ran down the middle of them and said, hey, guys, I used to do this stuff before I got saved. I got saved last week. Do you guys want me to tell you how to find Jesus? And this whole group of people who were doing drug deals took off running off the hill. I ran after them, of course. I mean, duh. And and started telling them more about Jesus. And they said, get out of here. We don't want nothing to do with you. I said, oh. So I came back, and all the all the firm and elite Christian guys wanted me to go sing praise songs with them. Said, what'd you do? I said, well, I just told him about Jesus. I didn't know I was supposed to be quiet about it. I didn't know. No one told me I'm supposed to not tell everybody about the Lord. I mean, I'd walk up to a stop sign and leave it to Christ. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. I thought you had a big head. I mean, I, 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 matter of fact, I want to stay that way now. And I want to get old, uh, bless my heart, and and lose the passion, lose the fire for the Lord. So um, I want to tell as many people as I can now. So I'm, uh, when my mom passed away a few years ago, my dad just recently passed away a couple months ago. I dedicated myself to share the gospel with people a lot after each time because I figure Satan invented death. So I'm going to punch him in the face. And when I tell other people about the Lord, I feel like I'm punching the enemy in the face. So um, I don't know if that was the question. I forget what the question was. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I have a lot of experience in working with people like you, so I'm, I'm good. We can circle back to it if we have to. I, I one time I asked, I was on a teleconference with uh, former Clemson basketball coach Larry Shiat, and somebody asked him a question, and he went on and on and on and on. And when he finally stopped talking, 
the reporter said, so was that a yes or a no? And Larry said, I forgot the question. So one of those guys that you ask him what time it is and it's, he tells you how to build a watch, that, that type of deal. So I, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to it. It's, it's no problem. What, what, what did you see at the time? What was the single biggest change in your life? I mean, did the desire to do the drinking and drugs, did it go away immediately? What, what was the, what was the biggest change that you noticed? Well, completely went away. No desire. No, I haven't, I haven't really taken a drink since then. I guess I've tasted some things. I don't know. I can't remember, but, um, everything about that changed. I think I actually, uh, in, in, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto salvation. So the Lord granted me repentance that night. My whole mind changed about that sin. I didn't curse anymore. I didn't, I was cursing every other word. Mm -hmm. I didn't curse anymore. I didn't drink anymore. I don't want to say I turned into a goody two shoes, but looking back at it, I turned into a goody two shoes. Didn't even know that I was a goody two shoes. I could, I don't know what a goody two shoes is even to this day. It kind of scares me that I use that phrase, but um, uh, 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 yeah, everything changed. And I also wanted everyone to know about the Lord. There's also I had a, an, I don't know, an insatiable thirst to learn. So I read the scriptures through the whole New Testament in a week. I instantly started studying apologetics. I instantly started studying uh, Josh McDowell and and uh, and uh, different guys like that back in the day. And love, love. I'm a science guy, so I biology, physics, and chemistry as a pre-med major. Nah, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I played football, so <laughs> I was well, I was getting ready to say you're way too smart to be on my show. If that if that's the <laughs> case, so well, let me just say my wife was a valedictorian. I was a thank you lordian. You know what yes. I'm saying? So, yeah. No, I got um, you. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so I mean, I, everything, everything though changed about me since then I've been preaching. So, well, and, and, and just hearing this part of your story and, and I'm assuming that with the gift of hindsight, you can see this, God had his hand on you from the beginning and you were always going to be this guy. You were always going to be a preacher. You were always going to be the guy doing what you're doing. It's just that in his timing, he was going to get you there, and you had to go through what you did to get there. But there are no, as we were talking earlier before we started recording, there are no surprises where God is concerned. He had this planned for you from the beginning. Yeah, it was. It's interesting. In sixth grade, I was selling pictures of marijuana stickers, and people were putting them all up over the school. Made twenty bucks a, a week. Twenty bucks a week for a sixth grader might, might as well be a, a thousand. So I, uh, I got caught. The principal said, you're not going to laugh at this paddling because I used to we used to get paddled back in the day. Right. Bless our hearts. They took prayer and paddling out of school and kind of ruined everything. But um, uh, uh, this principal said, I've been waiting for this. He took a paddle off the top of the shelf to paddle me and had my name carved into it. He, <laughs> he was a home run hitter in softball. He put, he told me to lean over the desk and and uh, he crow hopped and went wham, hit me really hard. I came off the ground about a foot, started screaming, crying. Uh, uh, I said, one more, don't put your hands back there. You'll break your hands and hit me again. The second time I was just screaming, crying. The, the teacher who was witnessing it hated me. I made D's and F's in her class. My brother made straight A's. He was a 35 on the ACT, you know, 100, 100 whatever plus genius guy and IQ. And he, she said, why can't you be more like your brother? And I'll never forget. Now, you're wondering, why are you telling the story? Well, let me tell you what happened. 
that made me so mad that she said, why would, why can't you be like your brother made me so mad that I, I changed everything from that point on because I was on all remedial classes. I wasn't smart. I couldn't had ADHD, I guess. I don't know. I got spanked for it. I didn't take any Ritalin, but I just, I mean, we, we, we were disciplined. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I decided every time I came, I played five sports as a seventh grader, football, basketball, baseball, ran track and wrestled. You could do that up in Ohio. You could wrestle all the way up until eighth grade because basketball and wrestling was at different times. And so I played five sports. Every time I came home, I'd sit at my, at my dining room table, roll the, the cloth bag, set an egg timer for two hours. Wait a minute, excuse me. And for two hours, I would do all my homework every day. Every day had an egg timer there. My mom would make me a sandwich and I would set my alarm clock for two hours and I'd get done with all my homework after the first hour. And I'm sorry. I'd just be sitting there and I'm not going to just sit there. So I'd read the next day's material. I didn't understand it then. And then the teacher would be teaching the next day and I'd raise my hand. Can you explain that one more time? I made straight A's in seventh grade. Straight A's in eighth grade, made one B in ninth grade. Dude, straight, I had a 4.85 GPA. So I'm, I'm, I'm offered by Furman University. I'm sitting in the room with the admissions counselor, and the admissions counselor looks at my SAT score, 770. That's an F minus. That's the lights are on, but nobody's home. Then, then he sees the ACT score is 15, which validates the 770. And he looks at the coach and slams the paper down and says, How dare you bring this guy in here? He can't hang or, handle the rigors of Furman's FCA. And the coach screams at him and says, Look at his transcripts. And the guy sees my 4.85 GPA. I was in three different choirs. I was in drama club. I was played three sports as a as a high school player. And and um, <coughs> he looks sits back and says, "I know what he's thinking. He's probably thinking you've cheated." How do you, he said? How do you explain this? I said, "Well, every day I came home from school and I studied two hours every day. I'm not smart. I'm not smart. I'll be the dumbest person in this entire school, but nobody's going to work as hard as I will as I will work." And the guy looks at me and says, "Wow." and lets me in. First day of school, I get saved. So I go all the way back to when I got paddled, and it changed everything. Wow, what a powerful story. Adrian Dupre is our guest on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. When when did ministry become a full-time calling on your life? When, when, did, you feel, when did you feel that? Uh, after my sophomore year in college, I was reading a book by a guy named Brother Lawrence and Frank Laubach called Practicing the Presence of God. And the book said, just a little thin book, because that's my favorite kind of book to read. But um, he, the book said, can you, can you live every second acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said to myself, no, I can't do that. I'm a sinner. I was allowing for that in my life. I can't do that. And the next line said, stop calling yourself a sinner. You're a saint who sometimes sins. You're not a sinner. And I went, oh, my stars. I'll never forget. I got off my bed, started weeping, started confessing my sins. And at that point there, I said to the Lord, I'll never forget. I said, okay, I will be your minister, whatever you want me to do. So that's when I was called into full-time ministry. After my second year of seminary, I was asking God one day, should I be a should I be an evangelist? Should I be a pastor? Should I be a youth pastor? Should I go to medical school, be a medical missionary? I got the lowest score in the history of Furman on the MCAT, so I don't know if I was going to do that. But um, should I should I do that? I, for some reason, I couldn't take those tests. But um, should I? I had it all narrowed down to five different options, and I was 
begging God on Tuesday. I was sharing my testimony in chapel at Columbia International University where I went to seminary. They asked me, to, I was one of the seven students they asked in God's providence. I, um, I was one of the guys picked and the president after my testimony grabs me by the arm and says, you're an evangelist. You should tell everybody. I thought, wait a minute, I was just praying about that the day before. Then on Wednesday morning, I'm driving down the road to go do a little prayer meeting for the University of South Carolina's uh, fraternity systems. We'd walk around it every every uh, Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. They didn't know because they were asleep. Right. So, you know, we're we're walking around praying for them. And, uh, and uh, on the way down there, the Lord made it clear to me and set up a vision in my mind, exploded my car, it felt like. I yelled at a homeless guy. I'm supposed to be an evangelist. Uh, that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, Thursday morning, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but Thursday morning, I get a phone call from a guy named Dwight Robertson. Dwight's the president of the ministry I work with now. He said, uh, the, the the guy who went after me in Testimony Chapel was a holy guy, a Mick Beach, great speaker, great lover of missions. He's just an awesome guy. Well, Dwight led him to Christ and discipled him. I said, well, you must be a stud, so how can I help you? He said, would you be interested in being an evangelist on our staff? And I, I dropped the phone. It was, it was, I'll tell you how old I am. It was a corded phone. So I remember pulling up the cord and holding it. I said, wait a minute, who are you? Are you liberal, conservative? What you? I mean, I didn't know. So they, they, he tells me who he is. And for the last 37 years, I've been on staff for, for that ministry. 34 years, I've been on staff with that ministry. And that's how it all got started. I was called by God supernaturally to be an evangelist. And uh, I'm going to stick to it with all of my soul. I don't... I've been offered many times to be a pastor. I've been offered many times to do something different, but I cannot, but for the call, change anything that's going on in my life right now. And and if you are honestly seeking God's will for your life, he will, in his timing, show you what that is. And, and sometimes it's as dramatic as it was for you, and, and sometimes you really have to listen for that still small voice. I, I'm... I'm like you. I want the flashing lights. I want the email every morning when I get up from God saying, this is your agenda for the day. Doesn't happen that way, though. No, no. no. I mean, I, I know that God's not a mute. I know that he speaks, but discerning his voice is very difficult sometimes. I think the best way to discern the voice of God is to stay dear and clear and true to the scriptures. And if it, he's never going to say anything that's contrary to the scripture, mm -hmm. um, but I still think, like one day I, I was praying, I was asking God, would you please tell me this song that I use with this? I do um, mime also on the side, but I, I, I don't do it in the United States because I'm not a mimist or whatever you call those people. Uh, I do it overseas when I'm preaching because so, it's easier to understand the gospel by looking at it. So uh, I was asking God to remind me what that's. I, I was thinking about it for six years, honestly, six years. And then all finally I said, why don't you just ask God? So I said, Lord, what was the name of that song that I used with that mind? Because I wanted to do it again. And as soon as I said it, the thought come to my mind, that's the song. And I said, oh, that's it. Why did I ask God earlier? I don't know. I, I know he speaks to us in that still small voice. Sometimes it's loud for some people, but for me, it's like a still small voice. I know he speaks to us, but I don't want to say the Lord told me and write it down and add it to scripture because that'd be, you know, uh, what does it say in Revelation? All the curses of scripture come on you then. So I'm, I'm just saying, uh, 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 I do know he speaks to me, but the best way is to stay intimate with him so that you can discern his voice. That's the key. And, 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 and what happens, what happened with me when I was trying to figure out, do you really want me to go into this new nonprofit? Do you really want me to start this radio show dragging my feet because I'd made some mistakes? I talked about being super Christian earlier. 
th- thinking I was doing things shortly after I got saved that were God's will, and it turned out it was what Dan wanted to do, and I was asking God to bless it, and we know what a disaster that is. But it, it got to the point where practically every devotion I was reading, every preacher I listened to on the radio, there was something in that message that was like a neon arrow that was pointing directly at me. And then finally, our our pastor at Utica Baptist in, in Seneca, South Carolina, had a message one day, and all, all this is going on. And the message had nothing to do in particular with my circumstance, but he had a bullet point that literally said, what are you waiting for? <laughs> and that was kind of the impetus to, okay, God, I get it. And But it, it took me almost two years to get it you know adrian dupre is our guest how did you come up with the four chairs because that's Uh, one that's one of the most powerful (laughs) things that 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 i've heard in a long time maybe ever wow matter of fact i did the men's devotion at our prayer breakfast last week and i used that your book that i bought at the crusade talked about one three and four and read most of two to the group I don't right. know. I don't think they. I don't think they were real happy with me when it was all said. <laughs> no, it actually went over really well. But tell me about the four chairs. Well, I was in seminary uh, many years ago, and a guy named Bruce Wilkinson, uh, the walk through the Bible guy, prayer Jabez, uh, pretty famous preacher dude. Um, did I just say preacher dude? I'm sorry. I'm not cool. I'm not cool. I'm a boomer. Just relax, you listener people. Okay, so um, this guy named Bruce Wilkinson did a message called the Three Chairs. Uh, to make a long story longer, he he, uh, <clears throat> I, I went. I was stunned by the message. Stunned by it. It just hit me hard. And I remember s- signing up to talk with him. There's a, a board I can go in his room and talk with him for I get a half hour slot. So I signed up for a half hour slot to speak with him. I said I would like to do that message, but I would like to add a chair if you don't mind. He said, Well, what chair would you like to add, young man? I said, Well, appreciate you calling me that. So um, I said, uh, uh, I'd like to add the third chair. Now, for a quick 30-second synopsis of the message, the first chair, they love God. They're not perfect, but they're getting better. The second chair, they're a Christian, but they've kind of gotten used to God through time. Jesus calls them puke. Um, He loves the people, but the actions vomit to him. The fourth chair, they know they're not saved. The third chair, the one that I added, is someone who thinks that they're saved, but they're not saved, and they don't know it. It's the... uh, uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it, but narrow is the way that leads to life, if you find it. It's the people on this broad road who think they're on their way to heaven, but they're on their way to hell and don't know it. Uh, so I, I explained it to him. He said, oh, he said, you know, I disagree with that theologically. Now, this is where it gets sticky. I said, yes, sir. He was part of the uh, the Ryrie camp during the, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, real quick, the, the MacArthur versus Ryrie back in 1989, I was right in the middle of all that stuff. And, and MacArthur said the gospel according to Jesus, that Jesus must be Lord to be Savior. And Ryrie said that you don't have to repent to be saved. And it was a big war. So, and, and of course, I went down on the side of MacArthur. Uh, I don't know what MacArthur's doing now, but I appreciate it. I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is I was on his side then. So um, 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 it was pretty awesome, pretty cool. He, the, um, Bruce Wilkinson wrote the foreword for Ryrie's book that answered MacArthur. So R- Wilkinson, who's in the middle of this war, who wrote the foreword on, on Ryrie's book, said to me, you know, I disagree with that theologically. I said, I know. That's why I'm asking permission if I can use it. And then he said this to me. Now, listen, Dan, now this is the greatest freedom for me on the planet because he said, okay, you can use this message as long as you want, 
as often as you want, change the illustrations, make it your own, which of course I was going to do that. He said, but from the pulpit, don't ever say that you got it from me. And I remember raising my hands in the air. I said, ah, thank you. Because I knew I was going to forget anyways after the first two times. So, right. so, <laughs> so that's how I got it. I got it from a guy named Bruce Wilkinson. Sorry about making that story long, but that's kind of an interesting story to me that that's how that message started. And you know what? It seems to me that everybody now. I do a lot of messages. I write a new message every week for a Bible study that I teach with, with businessmen on Thursday mornings. That's a Zoom Bible study kind of thing. And I also do a bunch of other messages. And pre- But for some reason, that message, um, Rick Gage and his crusades that he wants me to speak at, he 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 always brings the chairs with him and says, I want you preaching this message. I said, I said, Rick, I've got other messages. He said, no, 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 no. That message is anointed by God. I need everybody to hear it. I said, okay. And the Lord corrected me one time because I was feeling sorry for myself and having a pity party. I don't want to be known as a one message guy, blah, 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 whatever. It's all pride. Bless my heart. So um, the Lord rebuked me and I felt him say in my heart. I don't know if it was, I felt him say in my heart. As soon as 360 million people in our country have heard it, then I'll let you go to another message. Until then, shut your mouth about me. That's my message. You're preaching my message. You tell everybody. I said so. So I haven't complained since then. Well, um, for, for those who haven't heard it, I would highly suggest you go to uh, find Adrian on YouTube. You, you can find the message there being in the audience and watching it live and, and then finding yourself lying flat on the ground. Uh, crying out to God, if I am a second chair Christian, Lord, I don't want to be. So search me, O Lord, and you know, all the things that David prayed. But, you know, it, it's funny. Billy Graham uh, used to always say that he was concerned about this part of the country because he was born in Charlotte, that there were a lot of people, he didn't use the term second chair Christians, but there are a lot of people who grew up in church all their life. And because of that, they think that they're saved and they've never they've never repented of their sins they never made the profession to Christ and, and and the way that that he described it back in the day when he would travel internationally he would have to get uh shots to protect him from cholera and and it was it was a three shot sequence and and he always got sick and he said the reason is that they're giving you a little bit of cholera in those shots to keep you from getting the real thing and he took that and said, there are people in our churches today who have just enough religion to keep them from getting the real thing. And, and, yeah. and when you were, when you were talking about the second chair, that's one of the things that came to mind. Cause I've heard him preach that message. I can't tell you how many times. Yeah, that's actually uh, you're describing my calling in the ministry. My calling in the ministry is I'm a little bit different. I'm a little bit weird as an evangelist. I am called to be an evangelist to the church, which is interesting. I'm talking about people who are in the church, right. not the ecclesia, the ecclesia church, the called out ones, but to the to the institution of the church today. Um, the guy na- named T.W. Hunt, who prayed eight hours a day, he believed that 80% of the Southern Baptist Church roles were in the third chair. People who thought that they saved, but they're not. 80%, he thought. Uh, Billy Graham, I heard him say that it was 70% of people who go to church today, he believes are in the third chair. So it was, it's, that's my calling. It's a weird calling. It's more like a revivalist, like a, the old school guy, Vance Havner, kind of a, kind of a thing. Uh, he's had a huge influence on my preaching life and uh, I've read several of his books and, and it kind of changed everything about me, but I'm called to be an evangelist. Now that makes it a lonely, lonely, 
I, I only know one other person in the country who has that calling and I want to meet more, but that's my calling. Now, Billy Graham was an evangelist to the lost. And he had Operation Andrew and the lost would come in and they would give their lives to Christ. And it was phenomenal. He had the, the calling of the evangelist on him. Um, mine's a little different. Mine is I go to the church and beg people to get right with God. Now, if you're in a second chair, who's someone who's gotten used to God through time or the third chair, I don't care. All I care is that you get into the first share, that you love Jesus. You repent, surrender, re-surrender, give everything back to the Lord, and get back in the game. You got 85,000 people in a stadium desperately in need of exercise, 22 players desperately in need of rest. That's the church today. So we need to get people on, in the game on the field. Seeing the, the response and being part of the response firsthand, uh, what was amazing. I, I'm wondering, though, because you have this particular calling as an evangelist to the church, what kind of blowback do you get? I mean, it, it can't it can't be all everything's great. Watch all these people come and, and rededicate their lives. I, I imagine anybody who's in ministry gets people who's saying, "How dare you?" Yeah. Well, there's a. I did a retreat one time in Tennessee called Resurrection. And there were 12,000 students there. And when I gave the invitation, 6,000 stood up to give their lives to Christ, said they were sitting there in the third chair. I said, no, 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 you sit back down. There's not supposed to be 6,000. Just sit back down. And I explained the gospel again. Now, if you want to repent of your sins and surrender, you know you've never done it before. You want to do that right now, stand up right now. 6,000 stood back up. I said, no, 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 sit back down. Some kid yells out, no, we want to get saved right now. And the place starts erupting and screaming. I'm just sitting back going, what's going on here? So they go out there. It takes a long time to, to get the counselors set up, to lead them to the Lord and whatnot. You know, it's what I would call a great revival, great kind of a spark plug awakening kind of thing. But there was one and I mean one, uh, maybe more, that I only heard about one, though, uh, youth pastor who complained about how I was teaching their students that they weren't saved. And because he complained, I've never been asked to speak back at that ministry again. And it's interesting how uh, one person complained, and it kind of, even though it was a revival, I've had a few pastors even in South Carolina complain about me being a one message guy. So there is some blowback on me and I wear that stuff. And, and, uh, my low self-esteem stuff just starts to flare up every time I hear that, that schmack. And, and, uh, and that's when I, that's when I had the big war with God about whether or not I should do the four chairs anymore, because I've heard these blowback things and, and, uh, the Lord's made it clear to me, don't you dare question me again about it so i've, I've kept my mouth shut since then and and, and then I, and then, be known by that. yeah but and then when you see the response like you saw in liberty and like you see all over the country and all over the world that's god's affirmation see if you just do what i tell you you'll be in my will and that's the most important thing yeah i was speaking at promise keepers i was one of the last promise keepers big event guys speaking mm -hmm. I was speaking in Birmingham, and I, they gave me 30 minutes to do the four chairs. Now, you heard it. It's an hour and 10-minute message. Uh, it's like a dog going through the woods, picking up those cockaburr things, you know, those birds that stick on a dog, mm -hmm. and he picks up a bunch of them. It comes up. That's what that message is like for me. I, I come up with a new illustration. I don't take any illustrations out. So it's like, yeah, oh, just big old. So sorry. But um, um, I was doing it at Birmingham, and, and I did it in 33 mi minutes. About 60% response. Phenomenal. They thought it was the greatest revival ever. The next week, I was speaking in Nashville, about 17,000 men, and and uh, the president, Tom Fortson of Promise Keepers, grabs me by the arm before I'm going up on stage. Now, imagine this. I'm going up on stage to do a, 
uh, I'm cutting a message in half and my mind is sharp. I'm trying to, it's not sharp, it's dull, but I'm trying to think clearly about what I'm supposed to do. He grabs my arm and says, hold on a second. You cut your message in half last week, didn't you? I said, yes, sir, I want to honor your schedule. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to take the whole hour. I stopped him. I'm getting ready to go speak to 17,000 men. He said, I want you to take the whole hour. I said, what are you talking about? He said, no, no, I heard the message online. I don't want you cutting out any of that message. I said, well, there, we have lunch in half an hour. He said, I, he said, I don't care about lunch. I have terminal cancer. I don't want to, I don't care about lunch. He said, I said, okay, but what about the lady in the front who had this sign who was waving the sign during overtime in the front of the conference? I'm going, oh, dear, because I have ADHD. Squirrel, I have ADHD. I was looking at that sign the whole time and lost track of the message. So so he said, no, I've already talked to her. You take the whole hour. Okay, now watch this. Now, Dan, you're not going to believe what happened here. I know it's not me. I'm a schlub. S-C-H-L-U-B. It means it's a Jewish word. It means ever had to do with being a schlub. So I know it's not me. So I'm, I'm, what happened was the guys who had the binoculars and the video cameras to count how many people responded to the invitation, it was a 95% response. 30% third chair, fourth chair, salvation, 30%. Men running to the front in this auditorium, running, diving on their faces at the front of this big auditorium in, in Nashville, weeping and wailing and crying. I had the guy who was a uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was 12 time MMA champion comes up to me, gives me a big hug at my table and says, uh, you changed my life. Your, your message changed my life. You mind if I help share, sell your t-shirts? I said, yeah, go ahead. I didn't know who he was. And people are saying that, that guy, 12 time MMA champion. So um, I'm a, I had a guy walk up to me and say, I came here to devote, to uh, cheat on my wife and your message changed everything. I'm going to go home and get, and get my life right with my wife. And it was, and when they did the response, Men were weeping and crying, and they told me it was the largest response they've ever had in the history of Promise Keepers. And it will happen to be the last Promise Keepers event. So I've never spoken to Promise Keepers since then. So uh, it breaks my heart. I don't I don't know if I'm famous. I don't care if I'm famous. I want Jesus to be famous. But I, I want to speak. I want to get this message out to everyone. Everyone needs to hear it. Everyone needs to hear it. So... I'm making myself available. I'm not looking for more work. I'm just wanted, I want to speak to the masses. Well, God has obviously placed that calling on your life. And as we were talking before we started recording, COVID may have shut you down for a little while, but uh, your schedule is full again. And uh, your, your, your job, just like my job, just like every believer's job, you just have to be obedient. And, and sometimes, and for men especially, you know this, it's, we, we have a hard time taking our hands off the wheel. <laughs> Amen. Amen. As we get that slap, that's good. That's a good slap. Yeah, as, as we get into wrap up mode, um, I, I get the sense you don't see yourself slowing down anytime at all. I, you know, people have asked me when I'm going to retire. I'm, I'm, next year I'll be sixty. Can a man be sixty? That's older than dirt. Dirt was invented right after I was born. Now listen, I'm the I'm the last of the boomers. Boomers were forty six to sixty four. I was born in sixty four, so I'm the last of the boomers. But I'm still speaking to students, and for my hair, somebody spilled some paint in my hair, so now my hair's white. So uh, uh, both of us, you know, Dan, I don't know if you guys know who Dan Scott is, but he's a he's a Q-tip just like I am. We have some whiteheads. Yeah, so, um, I'm, I'm 56. My excuse is that I was married with two daughters. Oh. So, man. yeah, I, I, went, I went gray early. So. Bless your heart. <laughs> but you're not slowing down. Amen. Amen. I, I, I don't, I don't, I've never even thought about, had never thought about retirement. So it's, I, I could see me dying preaching. Um, well, one time I came off the stage and 
my heart had a big thing in it and I have a stint in my heart now. The doctor called me a walking dead man because my widow maker was 95% blocked and one jolt he said I could have been dead. And so he put a stint in there somehow. I'll preach as long as the Lord will have me alive. I'll preach as long as, long as I, if, if, from my perspective now, I'm 58, I'm getting ready to turn 59, I'll be 60 next year. Uh, I want to preach as long as God wants me to. I think that is a great place to end this. And you know what's interesting? Every preacher that I've ever known that is truly called by God, that is their attitude. They want to preach as long as they can and have no plans to retire. Adrian Dupre, thank you so much for spending time with us on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. We need to step aside for a quick break and we'll come back and get into wrap-up mode. Don't go away. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor? An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of the Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure the Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org. And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. It's the final segment of this week's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Adrian Dupre. His book, and message titled Four Chairs are Available. And I, I told him that I would be sure to remind people that he is the vice president of Forge Kingdom Building Ministries. And if you'd like to book him or check out some of the other speakers they have available, it's forgespeakers.org, F-O-R-G-E, forgespeakers.org. He is an incredible guy. And uh, if you have an organizational meeting or something coming up, you uh, might want to look into having him come and, and share with you. I promise that it will be a life-changing event. He, he is that good. And that message, the four chairs, is that convicting. You can find the message in full if you go to YouTube and just search Adrian Dupre, D-E-S-P-R-E-S -E -E is his name, how you spell the last name. Uh, I promise you, you will not be sorry that you did this. You know, a couple of weeks back, we had Daryl Cheney 
on as a guest who was a member of the Big Red Machine World Championship team of 1975 and, and played in Major League Baseball for a number of years. One of his Cincinnati Reds teammates uh, is a guy that I've been in contact with who's going to be a guest on the show maybe as soon as next week. It might be a week or two down the road because he's got some things going on. But Doug Flynn is also a Christ follower, played on both the 75 and 76 World Championship teams, and also has the uh, distinction of being part of the package that the Reds traded in early 1977 to the New York Mets to bring a guy named Tom Seaver to Cincinnati. Doug's had a lot of things happen in his life, a lot of great things and some not so great things, and we're looking forward to sharing all of those stories and how Christ has brought him through it all. So Doug Flynn is a guy who's going to be coming up in future weeks. Jason Lovins of the Jason Lovins Band that played at the crusade that we've been talking about. His story is one that you're not going to believe. He's only here because his mother was raped at 15 years old, got pregnant because of that, and chose not to abort that child. He was that child. It's an incredible story. And uh, so many more guests like that that we are working to get and get on the air. We think we've got a, a good run of stuff coming up through the summer months and we hope that you'll continue to interact with us hope you'll continue to share the show and as always we hope that you will prayerfully consider supporting what we do here you can go to danscottshow.org or grandslamministries.org same website and there's a tab there you can click to make a financial contribution we would love to have you as part of that side of the family as well We will see you again next week. Thank you again for tuning in. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.